in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to talk about something that we're going to look at in more in depth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. But in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, and speaking of the fact that God gave gifts to the church, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human and cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you are a part of Fairhaven Baptist Church and you are a, a Christian who has been rescued and saved by the blood of Jesus, you've been given gifts by the Spirit to exercise and to serve and to minister within the body of Christ. And each one is vital to that. And God has a purpose as to why he gives his good gifts to the church. You know why God gives them? For the building up of the church, for the edification of believers, that you might walk away with your faith being strengthened as people have ministered to you and as you've ministered to others. And God tells us that he has a purpose to grow us up into mature manhood, that we might model and look like Jesus. And that's a beautiful gift of God, that he wouldn't leave us on our own just to flounder, but he surrounds us with other Christians, and they push us, and they build us up, and they edify us to look more like Christ, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, you have been given gifts by the Spirit to edify and to build up the body of believers. And my goal this morning is to point us to the fact that this gift-giving God has given us all we need to glorify Him and to pursue righteousness together. I don't know about you, but that means we need one another. It means that God has a purpose in bringing us together, and it's ultimately for his glory. And it points us to the fact that God alone is mighty to not only save, but to grow his children into the mature manhood he intends. So I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the fact that in Christ, not only are we saved, but because of what Christ has done, we are sanctified in him. And this morning as we sing and as we praise and as we study his word, may we see that this gift-giving God is the one who deserves all the credit and all the glory. And so this morning as we worship, let's give him the worship he deserves. Brother Eddie, would you lead us in worshiping this morning? Yes, sir. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you singing for us and leading us. Got your glasses? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue to walk through this letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth and to see what God is sharing with them and for our benefit as well regarding spiritual gifts. Because we love to talk about spiritual gifts. Specifically, we like to talk about which gift I got that you ain't got. 
and which gift is better, and which one do we like the most, and which one do we rather not have. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what, what Paul is sharing with the church in the first century is very important for us to remember this morning, because anytime you start talking about God's gifting, you can imagine that human beings might start bickering about it over the course of time. And so what I want to show you this morning are two important facts. There is only one God. There you go. I got, see, all right, seminary education going well. I got that down. There is one God. There is none like him. And there are two particular things about God I want to share with you this morning. Number one, he is the speaking God. He is the speaking God. And number two, he's the giving God. And for both of these, we should be immeasurably grateful. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're going to study. We're going to do verses 1 through 11. If you are physically able, I'd ask you to stand with me this morning out of honor for God's word as I read it, and then I'll let you sit down for just a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Lord, I pray this morning as we study your word, you would help us to see that you are the gift-giving, speaking God. And because of that, there is none like you. Lord, you alone are the rightful ruler and, and king of this creation. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study your word today, you would help us to see the beauty of what Christ has purchased for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, I pray for every heart that is in this room. Some I know, God, have come in here because they've been told they must be here. Some have come in here because they really want to be here. Some have come in here and they are here, but they're grieving or their thoughts are other places. Lord, I pray whatever our hearts are this morning, you would have held them captive to Christ in these next few moments that our thoughts and our efforts might be about King Jesus. Lord, I thank you that we're not the only church in this community that preaches the gospel. Lord, I pray that we will preach it unashamedly. And Lord, I thank you for my other brothers in Christ who preach at other churches and uphold the gospel as the truth of God. So Lord, I pray that as I teach it, you would help people today to not see Jason and to not see some slick presentation. But Lord, I pray what people will see this morning is you. 
Lord, that they would see you high and lifted up because of what you've done. Lord, I pray that you would receive glory and honor. Teach us today by your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to give you some background just as we remember the church in Corinth is a church that's filled with all types of division, and they've been dividing over all kinds of things. Now we see in chapter 12 another division that Paul is addressing. Apparently, there has been division in the church at Corinth around the idea and around the, the, the discussion of spiritual giftedness. What I want to share with you this morning is, is coming as a result of how does sin impact the discussion around spiritual giftedness? How does sin impact the beautiful giving of spiritual gifts by God to his people? And I want to point out four things that can happen as sin infiltrates the area of spiritual giftedness. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Here's how sin impacts the discussion of spiritual giftedness. Number one, there are some who claim to be speaking for God who are actually fake. One of the ways sin infiltrates the, the area of spiritual giftedness is there are some who are claiming that they have spiritual gifts from God to speak on his behalf when they are in fact fake and false. Number two, sin can impact spiritual giftedness when we see others envious of another's gift. When we become envious of another's gift. Number three, we see sin in the area of spiritual giftedness when we are disappointed with our gift or gifts. When we're disappointed with ours. And number four, we can see sin in the area of spiritual giftedness when we become boastful of our gift or gifts. And in the church at Corinth, division has arisen around spiritual giftedness. And what Paul wants to bring them back to is not a picture of themselves. What Paul wants to bring them back to, and ultimately what I want to bring you to as a church, is a big, beautiful picture of the giving God. Uh, just one. Just one will do. One, one keeps me moving. One amen will move me on to the next point, just so you know. So don't count on your neighbor to give it. Go ahead and give it. So Tony, you've gotten yours out of the way. But you should understand that what Paul is doing is giving them a big picture of God that it might counteract the small picture of God they have and the big picture they have of themselves. That's exactly what's risen up around their discussion and dealings with spiritual giftedness. And just so you know, we do it today because we will elevate the gifts that are in front of everybody. And sometimes we are prone to look down on or forsake the behind-the-scenes gifts. And so we can hold some greater than others. And what we need to see is they're not meant to be held in that way. They're meant to be ways of, of leading us into a greater worship of God who gives all these things. All right, now you're getting it. See, now we're moving. So I want to point you to verse 1. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, thankfully, Paul wants the church to be informed, not uninformed. He wants them to have spiritual knowledge, not ignorance. And what I want to point out to you today is that what Paul is directing them to is this fact. God gives gifts through the Spirit for his glory and our good. I'm going to say that again so you can write it down. God gives gifts through the Spirit for His glory and our good. One more time. God gives gifts through the Spirit 
for his glory and are good. And what happened in the church in Corinth is they have lost sight of that fact. Now, Paul has been addressing issues regarding worship starting in chapter 11. And here in this chapter and in the next three, in the next two that come, Paul's going to be discussing spiritual gifts and aspects of spiritual gifts and how they're lived out in the faith community. And Paul doesn't want them to remain uninformed concerning these gifts that God has given. So the first thing he's going to do is point them to the speaking God. Number one, the speaking God. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led Boy, Paul just cuts right to it, doesn't he? When y'all were pagans, y'all chased after a bunch of fake gods. Easy, Paul. (laughs) Back it up now. But he's making a point about what they used to follow compared to who they follow now. Before Christ, the Corinthians, he says, were led astray to mute or dumb or voiceless Idols. I don't care how nice the idol is made of wood, it will not talk back to you. And if you think it is, you need to get help. The chunk of wood you bow down to cannot talk back to you. The different idols we set up in our lives, the fake gods we chase after, they do not speak to our spiritual longing. They're fake. And I know I have a Taurus right now. I would love to have a beautiful car. I'm talking about the slickest thing you've ever seen. I would love to have one. But you get, know what? I could worship that car all day long. Guess what it ain't going to do? It ain't going to talk back. And it's not going to lead me in spiritual knowledge. It is dumb, worthless voiceless. And what Paul says is when y'all were pagans, when you weren't connected to Christ, you were led astray. You followed after these fake gods and they don't speak a thing to you. But Christ saved them. He said, when you were pagans, uh-oh, something's changed. Before Christ, they followed after worthless idols, and they, the idols wouldn't talk back. They needed knowledge, but they couldn't get it from the idols. But he says, you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, but he's implying that something is different, and the difference is Jesus. He died, rose again. God is speaking to his people. He's spoken through his word. Then he speaks through Christ. He gives us Jesus, who points us and, and points us back to the love of the Father for his people, his rescue, his redemption, and because they've been saved by Christ, they have been brought out of following after fake gods and serving now instead the living, speaking God who speaks by his spirit to every believer. There you go, brother. God has taken them from fake gods who cannot share any knowledge that accounts And Christ has rescued them to the speaking God. The one who doesn't leave us in darkness. I'm sorry, does anyone here have spiritual knowledge that did not come from God himself? So if God didn't speak, you and I wouldn't have a clue of anything to do with spiritual matters at all. 
you understand what I'm saying? If God didn't speak, if he was a voiceless God, you and I would have no concept of any kind, of any spiritual knowledge at all. We would be lost in darkness, in the blankness of nothing. We have to be reminded that God speaks to you and me. And we're no longer to be like we were before Jesus, following after aimless things that do not bring spiritual nourishment because we've been saved by Christ to knowledge of him. And I'm assuming everyone in this room needs more knowledge. Everyone in this room needs more knowledge of those things because we don't perfectly understand them. So why chase after voiceless, mute, dumb idols any longer when you have the speaking God who proclaims to his people? Yay, God. Because if he didn't start speaking, we'd all have nothing to talk about right now except the weather. If he didn't speak, we'd all get together and go, duh. But because God has spoken, we can come together now and we can proclaim and know and understand the truths of the God who made us and who saved us from the depths of our sin. The speaking God, Paul has to point them back to him because it's not about the Corinthians, it's about this God. And there is only one living speaking God who saves sinners and speaks through believers. There's only one. He alone deserves their devotion and yours and mine. Verse 3, therefore, he says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, Paul says, this speaking God has spoken, raised you, right? He saved you from the dominion of darkness, transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved Son. He speaks to you. He speaks in his word. He's given the Holy Spirit who speaks in every believer. And he says, so rightful spiritual discernment requires an understanding of this God. Therefore, because you no longer are tied to mute idols, I want you to understand no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Rightful spiritual discernment requires an understanding of the God who speaks, that's his character, and what he says, that's his truth. We have to understand these to rightly understand and to rightly spiritually discern. As Christians, the Corinthians are able to understand and spot the difference between one who speaks from God and one who doesn't, and that's only a result of the fact that God spoke first. And then he gives us that negative and positive, right? He says that the Spirit of God will never lead someone to say Jesus is accursed. That's not something the Spirit would ever lead anyone to do because the Holy Spirit is the power behind right confession, not erroneous confession. So he says no one gives the positive. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power behind rightful confession, I could never say Jesus is Lord and mean it and believe it apart from the work of the Spirit. And just so you know, speech that comes from the Holy Spirit always honors Christ. The Spirit was given by Jesus to point us to him over and over and over again. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'll send you the helper, and the helper is going to point you to the truth. Well, guess who the truth is? So guess what the role of the Holy Spirit is? 
Guess what he does for us? The Holy Spirit every day points us back to Jesus again and again and again and again and again. And so speech from the Holy Spirit will always honor Jesus. And someone who claims to speak for God should be honoring Jesus above all else. I'm talking to the prosperity teachers right now. I'm talking about prosperity gospel teachers. Listen, I go to the barber shop once a week and I share Christ with people. And one of the things that was on the TV while I was waiting to get my hair cut was a TBN. Oh. oh, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. <laughs> and there was a guy on TV. He is the associate pastor of Lakewood, Joel Osteen's church. And I listened to him speak for 25 minutes on this TV show. And everything he said was honoring self above Jesus. It was about your destiny. It was about your dreams. It was about your plans. It had nothing to do with honoring Christ above all things. You know what? I'm not afraid to tell you that was false teaching. Because the Spirit will never lead people to utter anything other than what honors Christ above all else. If I start speaking to you about stuff that honors me above Jesus, you need to correct me. Because the Spirit only gives utterance to that which honors Christ above all things. And I'm telling you, in Corinth, there were people who were lifting themselves up above Jesus. The spiritual gift discussion was leading people to either pat themselves on the back or be envious or to boast. And in the end, it cannot stand because the Spirit of God does not speak in a way that leads us to, uh, to, to place anything above Jesus. He is the rightful place of worship. False teachers, fake prophets honor themselves or the gods they've created in their own image. And we're surrounded by it every single day. But the first thing Paul does in addressing this division within spiritual giftedness is point them back to the speaking God. And this God does not speak anything that doesn't honor and glorify himself above all things. So anytime we're talking for God, it better be about Christ. We better be repeating back what he's already said, that above all things, the name of Christ is exalted. Number two, so we have the speaking God, now we have the giving God. That's what Paul points out. Verses 4 through 6, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, same spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So after telling them that God is the one who speaks and reminding them of that, he's now going to remind them of the fact that God alone is the one who gives any good gift. And this is important for the Corinthians to understand because they're divided and they're fighting over what they've been given. And they're no longer worshiping the giver of the gifts they're worshiping the gifts themselves. And just so you know, we can be guilty of that. I can be guilty of that. I can be guilty of, of worshiping the fact that, that God allows me to be able to preach. Well, that gift isn't greater than the giver who gave it. Whatever your giftedness is, it's to point you to the fact that the giver is far greater than any gift he's given you. He's the ultimate and so the answer to division or animosity or jealousy or arrogance around spiritual gifts is a fresh view of the giver of gifts. So if you're here this morning and you're struggling a little bit because, one, you don't, you don't know if your gift is as good as the person sitting next to you, or you think, well, maybe their gift is one you'd rather have, or maybe you're boasting because, man, you think your gift is pretty sweet and you, you, you know everybody is jealous of you, what I want to point you to is the giver of the gifts and stop talking about yourself. 
I'm talking to me. I'm talking to me above everyone else. Spiritual gifts, just so we know, have unity as their source and purpose. Spiritual gifts have unity as their source and purpose. The word for gifts is the word that comes from the root word for grace. So the spiritual gifts are God's grace that he pours out on people. Spiritual gifts are not, thankfully, not given on the basis of merit or effort, but on the overflowing grace of God towards his people. You don't get spiritual gifts because you're just that sweet. God doesn't get spiritual gifts because you finally did enough to get one. God gives gifts to every Christian because he's just a gracious giving God. There we go. I got some amens on that one. I'm going to work on this side over here. This is the quiet side. God gives gifts, right, to show that he's the giver and he deserves ultimate glory. Don't worship the gifts. Worship him. He gave them to you. And he's so good that he gave them to you because we didn't deserve any gifts at all. But he says, you know what? I'm going to be a gracious, compassionate God, and I'm going to give gifts to my people so that they might build each other up. Oh, yeah. We'll start from the front and work our way back. I'm thankful for the fact that gifts aren't given on the basis of merit and earning. You know why? Because if they were based on that, if they weren't based on the grace of God, then the next thing that comes is boasting and envy and animosity and division. Division shows a lack of understanding that these gifts are, in fact, gifts of God's grace, not earned. Whoo, doggy. That, put, that levels the playing field a little bit, doesn't it? Because if you didn't earn yours and I didn't earn mine, then we ain't got nothing to sit around and talk about except for the fact that God gave us both something. This side is beating. Okay, come on now. I need somebody. Oh, all right. Thank you, Eddie. In these verses, we see unity in the Godhead. That is the source and purpose for unity within the body and within the spiritual gifts that God gives. I want you to notice he says there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit, varieties of service but the same Lord, varieties of activities but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Do you notice that? Spirit, Son, and Father are mentioned together. He says there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. So the spirit empowers believers for effective working in the church. There are different types of gifts, but the Spirit empowers believers for effective ministry, effective use of them in the church. Yay, Spirit, for allowing us to be effective within the church to accomplish ministry. Number two, there are varieties of ministries or service, but the same Lord. So while the Spirit gives power for us to be effective in church, Jesus ordains the ministries that exist within the church. So Jesus ordains the ministries, and then the Spirit gives you the effectiveness to serve in those. It's almost like God's putting something together on purpose. And number three, he says there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So the Father is the source of all spiritual things, and he's the power behind any spiritual activity. So you have the Father, who is the source of all spiritual things. You have the Son, who who sets up and ordains all the ministries within the church. And then you have the Spirit, who empowers you to effectively minister within the church. So you have the source, you have the structure, and you've got the power and the effectiveness to do it. God has taken care care of everything <laughs> He's t- what are we missing if we have Christ we have everything we need because the father has put us 
with spiritual influence, you have the son who has ordained ministry within the church, and you've got the spirit that makes it effective. Oh, my goodness. It seems like God gets credit for all of it. So when you serve within the church, guess who credit doesn't go to? You. When I serve in the church, guess who credit doesn't go to? You know why? Because God gave me the power to even think about spiritual things in the first place. The Son set up His church and the ministries that exist within it, and then the Spirit is the one who allows one to be effective. So the Father gets credit, the Son gets credit, and the Spirit gets credit, and I sit there and go, yay, God. And guess what? Because you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift, guess what you spend all your day doing or should be doing? Praise God. He allowed me to be effective and to serve within His church because He actually opened my mind to spiritual things. (laughs) You know what the problem in Corinth is? They stopped thinking about that. They stopped thinking about God a long time ago. It's just about how do I get credit? How do I get glory? And guess what Paul takes them back to? Number one, he says, God is the one who spoke first. And number two, he's the giving God. He's the one who gives everything we need. Now, verse seven, he starts to list out these gifts and, and what they're used for. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Can I help you out? There's some good news in that. You know what that means? Each one means each one. If you're a Christian, guess what? You have a spiritual gift of some kind. If you're a Christian, you're not waiting for God to do something else to get you ready to go. If you're a Christian, you have already, through the Spirit, been given a gift to serve within the local body, within the church. He's given you that. Every, and I want you to notice that he actually goes on to repeat that To make sure everyone understands, because in verse 11, he says, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. If you're a Christian, congratulations. You've been given at least one spiritual gift to serve within the church. It's not super Christians who get them. It's every believer in Christ has a manifestation of the Spirit to use in the body of Jesus. No one is left out. Everyone is important. Everyone is vital. I don't care how young or old you are. If you're a Christian, you are vital to the ministry and the working of the church. Yay, God. And just so you know, a manifestation of the Spirit is a display of the presence of the Spirit in God's people for His glory. A manifestation of the Spirit shows you that the Spirit is present and God is working in His people. So when we're serving out in the church, guess what we're doing? We're manifesting the fact that the Spirit is with us, He is in us, and God is working in His church for His glory and for our ultimate good. Yay, God. But if no one's serving, if no one's exercising the gift God has given them, guess what? Not much glory of God going up. Because we've been given spiritual gifts to display the working of the Holy Spirit by the death and resurrection of the Son and the purposeful plan of the Father. To each is given. And he says that gifts are for the benefit of the church. He says, for each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it ain't about you and what you can get out of it. Not about what I can get out of it. It's about the common good of what God is doing in raising up. Ephesians 4, right? Maturing us all in Christ. Edifying, building up the body of Christ. And I just want you to know that this, this serving for the body is ultimately found in the example of Jesus in Mark 10, 45, when he says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? 
serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave us the example of serving to pour oneself out for the body of Christ. Now, verse 8, he starts listing them out. Uh, One commentator I saw uh, mentioned something that I hadn't thought about, but that these gifts seem to, to lump into three categories of prophetic gift, priestly gift, and kingly gift. I never thought of that before, but as he, as he shared it, it actually made sense because you have this list here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You also have lists in other places like Romans 12 that talk about gifts of the Spirit. And so there are nine manifestations who are listed in this text today, and I think some of them break up between prophetic gifts, priestly gifts, and kingly gifts. Now, prophetic gifts are the ability to understand and articulate truth. That's a gift that the church needs, Right? People who can understand and articulate the truth of God. So you have the utterance of wisdom that we see here in these verses. You have the utterance of knowledge. Those are the ability to understand and communicate effectively the truth of God. You have prophecy. You have tongues. You have interpretation of tongues. You have distinguishing between spirits. Those all just seem to be prophetic type gifts that are there for the the promotion and the communication of the truth of God. You see what I'm getting at? So you have like prophetic gifts. Then you have those gifts that look more priestly, which is the understanding and supplying of basic needs for the body. So you have in this text gifts like healing and working miracles. You have gifts like encouragement and exhortation, serving, sharing, and mercy, which come from Romans chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. You have the gift of pastoring, which we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You have the gift of helping, which is seen in Romans chapter 12, verse 28. And so you have these gifts that God gives to the church, which are very priestly in nature. They are to understand and supply the basic needs of the body of Christ. And then you have kingly gifts, which this author said are like an understanding of direction or group needs. An understanding of direction and group needs. And these are gifts like faith, administration, And then you even see it in the early church in the gift of the apostles or the planters or the founders. And so each one of these, this prophetic, priestly, and kingly gifts, what does that point us back to? The prophet, the priest, the king, who are all tied up in Christ. And so every gift that we have listed in Scripture points us back to the priest, prophet, king who died. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures is also called the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ. And so in the Spirit, we're actually working in the body as Jesus has already died for it and has already provided for it. We are exercising our gifts in the body so that the body might be nurtured and shepherded and growing for God's glory. Well, all those are based in Christ, right? Those all originate from Him. He is the ultimate example of all these. He possessed them all because he is God. And so all of these gifts point us not to ourselves, but to Jesus, who is the power behind all these things. And so if you have gifts of wisdom or knowledge or faith or prophecy, or tongues, and we can talk about tongues another day. I'm happy to have that discussion. Um, but tongues or interpretation or, or, 
or any of the gifts that are listed, encouragement, exhortation, sharing, mercy, all of these things point us back to the goodness of God as the speaking God who speaks through every believer for the edification of his body and the giving God, the one who pours these out on us so that we might be able to glorify him in the local body and encourage and lift one another up to push each other towards Christ. So God is the one who determines the gifts and he's the one who gives them. Because if you notice how he ends in verse 11, Paul says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God gives to each believer, the gift he desires for that believer to have. The Spirit apportions it, gives it out, so we don't have to question whether we got the right one. Whatever gift or gifts you've been given by the Spirit is exactly what was apportioned for you, exactly according to God's will. As he desired, he gave you what he wanted you to have for the service and ministry of the church. So you don't sit around going, well, I wish I had that one, or that one looks nicer, or I wish I didn't have this one. God has given you specifically the gift or gifts he wants you to exercise in the body of Christ. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes we can become more about the gifts than the giver. And churches can get caught up, and Christians can get caught up in comparing ourselves to each other. Who has the greater gift? Who gets to exercise it better? Do you get to see one more than the other? But instead, what God has said is every Christian has a gift of the Spirit, and we are to use it, Ephesians 4, to build up the body. Every Christian in this room should be serving in the body of Christ somewhere. Every Christian in this room should be serving in the body that makes up Fairhaven Baptist Church, you should be serving in the body for the edification and building up and the maturing of the believers that are around you. Every Christian, if you're in this room today, first of all, I want you to understand that if you're not a Christian, this does not apply to you. If you're not a Christian, you are still caught following and being led astray blindly after mute idols. You're lost and in darkness, and I need you to see that. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I need you to understand that we are spiritually blind apart from God working. And so what you need is not to try to figure out how you can get one of these gifts. What you need is Jesus, the Redeemer, the King. And so if you're here this morning and you're trusting in your own efforts or goodness, I'm going to encourage you one more time. I'm going to urge you and plead with you that you would stop trusting in your ability to be king and instead trust in the rightful king and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Now, if you're a Christian, then don't, don't get caught up in comparing your gifts to others or belittling the gift you have or being boastful of the gift you have. Guard your heart against anything that would cause boasting or anything that would cause you to look inward at yourself. Instead, look at the giftedness of God as pointing you back to his sufficiency and his grace towards you. As you exercise your spiritual gifts in the church, point back to Christ, right? To remember that he's the one who deserves all your allegiance. It's not about you and your gift. It's about God who gives graciously. And then three, serve. Serve. Find a place in the body of Christ to serve. If you don't know where that's at, come talk to me. I'll be happy to tell you the greatest needs we have as a church. But if you're a Christian and this is your home, you need to serve in this home for the good of the body of Christ. 
And listen, not every gift is the hair standing, on the, uh, hair standing up on the back of your neck kind of gift. I've had this discussion already this week. No one, I believe, has the gift of changing dirty diapers. But someone got to. You understand what I'm talking about? Most people don't get the tinglys off the idea of changing some poopy diapers. But that gift of ministry, that gift of serving, that gift of sharing, that's where God's glorified. And whether you get the hairs on the back of your neck stinking up on anything, listen, sometimes serving in the body of Christ is thankless, difficult, dirty work. But Christ gave up everything. I think the least we can do is be willing to get dirty for the cause of Christ. Think of Christ and what he gave up for us. How could we not be willing to step in and do whatever he calls us to do? But everyone's gifted. So I don't want to see a single person who is a Christian at Fairhaven sitting on the sidelines saying, I wonder what they're going to do for me. I want every Christian who's a part of this church to be invested and serving in the body of Christ. And if you don't know where that is, come talk to me and I'll be happy to chat with you. Our leaders will be happy to talk to you about where you can plug in. But I'm telling you, the church will grow. The church will mature when all the body is together, working together for the glory of Christ, saying he is the speaking God, he's the giving God, and he deserves all the glory for what happens in this place. And if we do that, God will grow us as he intends to do so. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the chance we have to serve you as Christians. And God, I'm grateful that you, by your grace, you not only redeem us through Christ, but you give us the ministry to serve and God, to be able to live out our giftedness in the local church. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room relying on their own goodness to be saved, God, that they might see today that that is an empty task, but instead of working for your affection, God, that they might rest in that your affection has come to them in the death of Christ. And so Lord, may they trust in his sacrifice instead of their own. And Lord, I pray that as Christians, you would help us not to be divided over our gifts or, or not to look down on the gifts you've given us or not to be envious or boastful about the gifts we have. But Lord, we would instead look at any good thing that you've given to us and give you the praise you rightfully deserve. That God, it would lead us to praise and worship you even more, whether we have the fancy gifts or whether we have the behind the scenes serving gifts. God, I pray that whatever it is, we would glorify you not ourselves. And Lord, we would hold each one valuable. That God, every person who makes up your church is valuable in your sight. And they are important to the work of the ministry. So God, show us that. Show us that we alone can faithfully serve you and glorify you no matter what the gift is. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us. Every single one who calls Fairhaven Baptist Church home, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to serve in the body. God, help us not to sit on the sidelines. Help us not to assume that someone else will do it. Help us to not think that church is about getting what we want. But Lord, help us to see that we gather together as Christians because we get to build into others. We get to sacrifice and serve and pour ourselves out for the good of your body. So Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Lord, I thank you that you are worth all these things. God, you are worth every second we could ever spend in ministry. God, you're worth every thought, and I pray that you are glorified above all things. Help us, Lord, to realize that you are the one who rescues and you're the one who leads. God, I pray for all of us in this room, we would just commit ourselves to your glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.